You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Now, that's a win to boost you into the weekend. A huge performance by the Jets in Toronto will break that W down, including Billy Hainala's long-awaited return to action. The Messiah's back right away for you guys. That's coming up in just a sec. Then later on... We have an absolutely electric interview on tap. The most entertaining food personality yet to join the show. Her name is Christine Patterson from Miss Christine's Kitchen, serving up Jamaican food in Winnipeg. So we'll get into the secrets behind Island Cuisine, as well as what it was like to compete on Wall of Chefs on the Food Network. Things went completely off the rails in a great way. She's an absolute blast, so make sure you tune into that one a little bit later. But let's get to it here. Huge win, Jet Sleeves. And to help me break that one down, a very special guest is joining us, making his Skates and Plates debut, as well as, I believe, his broadcasting debut as well. Please say hello to my baby brother. That's right. Tyson Rewicki's here. Tice, how's it going? Not too bad. It's a pleasure to finally be on. Yeah. Are you nervous? Yeah, a little bit, but uh, I'm ready to get things going for sure. Well, I'm not going to tell any embarrassing stories from your childhood or anything like that, so I'll, <laughs> I'll keep you safe in that regard. By the way, why don't you tell the time you uh, pooped on the pool table? <laughs> uh, I'd rather not. <laughs> That's fair. That did actually happen, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he was in diapers, so it's it's totally cool and normal. A few years ago. Yeah, a few. Yeah, <laughs> he was 14. Not a big deal. Um, I actually do you want to speaking of embarrassing, how about you want to give us your rendition of Mambo number five? Oh, it, well, maybe you have to have me on another <laughs> time because uh, once, once I get a little more comfortable, that's one of my uh, best performances that I do. Yeah, that's for skates and plates after dark. I think that was that was one of the first times I got you drunk legally, <laughs> right? <laughs> All right, well, enough of that. I'm sure people would love to hear it, but let's get to the game last night. I mean, I don't think it was the Jets' best game of the season per se, but it sure as hell was fun to watch. Overcoming that early deficit, there was seemingly a turning point to happen there in the first period. Three quickies in the first, and then from that point on, the Jets pretty comfortably cruised their way to a 5-2 victory 
over the Maple Leafs, starting to narrow that lead atop the North Division. It'll make things interesting heading into the last dozen games or so. Let's start off, Tyson, with your initial thoughts of that 5-2 win for the Jets. Well, I think the biggest part in that game was for sure that uh, the 5-on-3 kill right at the beginning. Uh, the Leafs had a had a bunch of momentum. They were attacking the Jets off the rush, and that is, that is one of the big concerns about this team going forward that I wish they kind of added at the deadline because their transition defense and defense off the rush definitely needs a little bit of work. But actually, I thought that after the penalty kill, their defense in their own zone was was pretty good. It pretty well structured. They had great, great support along the boards. And I just keep on going back to that one play right right before the five on three ended. Uh, you see Andrew Kopp shift down right before, right in front of the goal line. And he's right there for support. Just a perfect clear. And, you know, after that, things turn the Jets way. All right. So one question in, I'm going to ask you to leave because that's already better than pretty much anything I would have thrown out there. So thanks for joining us, Tyson. See you later. <laughs> no, I, Hey, look, I totally agree. I like a hundred percent. And I was going to ask you the question, but I mean, you answered it there. And, and it's weird because, I mean, there was still like, what, 45 minutes, 50 minutes of gameplay left. But it did feel like in the moment, the five-on-three kill was the turning point of the game. And maybe the Jets got a little pissed off, too, with that second penalty call on the Dylan DeMello cross-check. Sure. But once they finished that kill off, it's no coincidence that I thought at least their intensity ticked up a bit as well. And you get the three quickies. I mean, it's all, Toronto's a dangerous team, so you can't say it's curtains after that. But they were certainly in the driver's seat from that point on. And I think if you had to pick one play of the game, no doubt about it, getting that kill and then at least getting the first goal right after really shifted the game into Winnipeg's favor. I, I do want to ask you about that. We were texting during the game. Paul Maurice has another Hall of Fame-level freakout on the bench. Absolute beauty. Obviously, he wasn't happy with the call. He wanted to make sure the ref said, hey, if you're calling that all, make sure you call that one all night. Did you, did you think that was a penalty? I honestly don't because I was, I as soon as that penalty happened, I wanted to make an effort to look at how many times that happened the rest of the game. And it happened about six or seven times. Like where how many like, times did it get called? Only the one. Yeah. It's, that's just, you know, it's kind of been the, the story of the season for the refs all year. But after a back-to-back, that's kind of the thing they needed just to get, a kick in the ass just to get boosted. Yeah, it didn't hurt them. Now, so here's the funny thing. I thought it was a clear cross-checking penalty, but I also understand Paul Maurice's freakout because the refs haven't called that a cross-check in 99% of the games this season. Totally. So it's it's just one of those frustrating things where nobody nobody really knows what cross-checking is anymore. So it's like when they call it, uh, the coaches and the players are like, well, what the hell are you doing? There hasn't been a penalty all season long. But in all reality, like, that is a penalty. He cross-checked the guy in the back in front of the net when, you know, the puck wasn't all around. So uh, it was kind of a goofy situation there. The main thing is the Jets were able to, to, excuse me, able to kill that one off. And then they really got going after that. What, what stood out to me, at least, on the defensive side of things, and you had a great breakdown there earlier, but... The Jets have had a lot of trouble for a number of seasons inside their own zone, basically to begin with against any team, but especially against teams like the Maple Leafs, where there's a lot of movement, there's a lot of crisscrossing. Either you have to communicate with each other or you have to switch off, things like that. And we see a lot of the times the Jets get running around. 
chaos ensues and either Hellebuck stands on his head or the puck ends up in the back of the net. But I thought the Jets were outstanding in this one in terms of both pressuring the Maple Leafs when they had the puck and then forcing them into dangerous areas away from the net. And, and specifically right at their own blue line, the Jets, or sorry, the Leafs forwards love to carry that puck up near the top of the offensive zone. And it's difficult for defenses to deal with. But I thought the Jets, the blue line, and the forwards as well in this one did an absolutely masterful job, for the most part at least, in keeping a pretty potent Maple Leafs offense away from the danger areas all night. Oh, for sure. And you could you could tell that the centers were putting an emphasis on those high swing plays right around like the top of the blue line. Centers were always like right around about where the, where the ringette line is. And it was just giving the Leafs fits all night and kept them totally to the outside for the most part. Now, we saw for the first time in a full 60 minutes the latest top six shakeup for the Jets here with Blake Wheeler still out. Shifley, Dubois, Connor, Ehlers, Stasny, Kopp. Anything stand out to you, Tice, between those two lines? Uh, they got to get Dubois going somehow right now. He, he, it's just that he doesn't look 100% there yet. And I think uh, that's it's a scary thing for the Jets, and it could be a scary team for other teams come playoffs if they haven't seen his, his best yet. But Yeah, I know what you mean, right? Because he's... It's like he's been bad, but everybody's wanting to see a lot more. And, you know, I threw this out on Twitter yesterday. And, and feel free to hit me up on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rowicki. Love to get your thoughts on this. But there still isn't a place for Pierre-Luc Dubois in this lineup. No. And I, I thought he was more engaged in the game, but he certainly didn't leave an imprint on it. Unless you're talking about Alex Kerfoot's head with that absolute bomb of a hit in the corner at the end of the second period. But even now, like, I, I'm not sure where you put him in the lineup. And that's going to be, when it comes to the forwards, Paul Maurice's number one goal as we close out the season here is figuring out who the best two players to play with Pierre-Luc Dubois is. And on top of that, I mean, is he a center or is he a winger? And it, I, I can't even – people love to get mad at Paul Maurice for everything. I can't really blame him because I don't have a good answer for you. And I don't know if you know where you'd put him, but – it's it's kind of a mystery to everyone in Jetsland right now. It seems. Well, and especially with all like almost all the forwards are having better seasons than they were last year. Like Cops stepped up in a huge way, and a bunch of injuries throughout the year. He's just been able to slide right into the top six, fill, fill it adequately. And Ehlers and Connor are, all, are obviously having career years. It just seems whenever they touch the puck, they're scoring. And Shifley and Wheeler are still doing their thing. So it just seems like. He's not playing bad, but compared to all these other guys, it's like we need, we just need a little bit more out of you, just a little bit more. And I don't oh, know, yeah, I don't know if hopefully come playoff time he becomes that possession monster that he was at times in Columbus. Yeah, it's kind of the Jets' secret weapon waiting to be unleashed. That if he is that guy, it gets pretty interesting. If the Jets could potentially find their way and and kind of run roughshod through the North Division come postseason time. I think if I had to make a a lineup card for the next game against Edmonton or in an ideal world, what I would like to do with the top six at least, you know, I, I don't want to see Wheeler and Connor together on a line. I mean, they're the team's two worst defensive forwards, so I'd, I'd probably look at splitting those two up. Nick Ehlers, who is just a god out there as of late and really all season long, 
as as much as I want him to play with Shafley and get like 20, 25 minutes a night, it's probably in the team's best interest to split those two up because then you have, you know, for pretty much 40 minutes of the game, five on five, you know, the other team has to deal with an elite offensive player. So I might go, I might go Dubois, Wheeler and Ehlers once Blake Wheeler comes back and is ready to go. And then you'd have a top line of Shifley, Stasny and Kyle Connor. And obviously Cop comes down to line three, Pearl goes down to line four. Yeah, I think those I think that's what you hope works best because those those top lines, they both kind of have the same luck. They got they got the passer, they got the shooter, and they got the guy that's gonna work work down low. Hopefully that's what Dubois does on that second line at least. And I, I have to come back. I know he's not likely gonna be in the top six anytime soon, but Jansen Harkins had a hell of a game too. And I, I really like his potential in a top nine role for the Jets going forward. I think he's still got a lot left to offer for them. But, you know, it's kind of just an embarrassment of riches right now for the Jets up front. You know, Tyson, some people would say you're the Jansen Harkins of the podcast world. (laughs) Well, that's high praise for sure. (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of potential future primetime performers for the Jets, Vili Hainala. That was the big story going into this one. I mean, Jets, Jets land loves themselves some Vili. And people have been just screaming from the rooftops for the kid to get back into the lineup sometime soon. He finally gets back in. A pretty tough spot for him to, to be put in this one. And Paul Maurice, you know, let that be known before the game that he wasn't going to judge him too harshly, depending on how he played. What did you make of Vili Hainala's game? And was there anything that stood out to you that made you think, oh, you know what, this kid deserves a, a long crack and a long look in the, in the Jets' either third pair or second pair? Well, I'm a, I'm a huge Vili Hanola fan for sure um I thought he had a good game he was I mean he didn't do he wasn't fantastic he wasn't making play after play but you know he was doing all the little things right and sometimes when you're coming into your first game in a long time in the NHL the best thing you could do is go unnoticed in a way you know not make any mistakes and and even in the first period he went toe-to-toe with Wayne Simmons one of the top net front guys in the league and he he played him pretty well in front and he just does all the little things right. And then once he takes that, once he sees the game and takes that next step, I think the Jets have a really special defenseman. A hundred percent. Yeah. The kids, I mean, it's nice that you don't have to worry about, you know, is he going to be a player as a prospect? You know, he's going to be, I don't want to say a future star, but somebody who's going to play a lot of minutes and, and do that pretty soon. I mean, he only played 12, 12 and a half in the game against the Leafs. So it's, I don't know. I'm not going to read a whole lot into it. He didn't He didn't have his best game. I didn't think he was bad. Uh, he was on the ice for the second Leafs goal, I believe. That was more of a complete team breakdown at that point than something that you could blame on the kid there. But you mentioned the Simmons, you know, going after Simmons. There was a play in the corner as well where he actually took the puck off of Joe Thornton, a guy who could be his daddy, and <laughs> was able to get the puck, poke it out, and do what he does best, which is make a a quick little outlet pass and, and get going back the other way. So all, all in all, it was, it was okay. It was, it was fine. I think it's what you would probably expect to be honest from a, a 19, 20 year old kid playing in the NHL for the first time in a couple of months, it feels like. So I, I would just like to see him get a stretch of games here, like play him in three or four consecutive, let him get into a bit of a rhythm. And then I think we can make a decision on whether or not he's going to be in the top six moving forward till the end of the season and going into the playoffs. But 
it's just crazy to me that it's even a, a debate. Hanala or Stanley as to, you know, kind of who gets that final spot. If you said that before the year, people would have laughed at you. And now it's like an actual legitimate hockey debate. And you might even lead towards Stanley, maybe. Yeah, depending who you play. I just, every time I see Hanola play, I, I honestly see a little bit of Ryan Ellis, a left-handed, a left-handed Ryan Ellis, nice. kind of a chemo team and in type two, just like that short stocky guy. And those are the guys that are perfect in the playoffs later on too, because they're going to, you know what you're going to get out of them. You know that they're going to make the right play. And that's sometimes that's all you need in a long playoff series. I thought you were going to say chemo team in it, a little chemo team in it, Philly. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit too. That's finish connection for sure. The finish God of defense. If, if he, <laughs> hey, if, I'll tell you what, if he turns out like chemo team in it, Jets fans are going to be happy for the next 15 years that they got a, a multiple all-star defenseman on their back end. So ho- hopefully this is... Not the last we see of Vili Hanala for the time being, but all in all, a uh, we'll, we'll give it a C-plus for a debut. How about that? And his yeah. return to action after some, uh, some decent time off there. Now, the Jets are coming back home. End of a road trip. That's always a tough one. In that first game back, they're going to play Edmonton. Well, we'll see. I mean, the Canucks schedule has kind of thrown everything into disarray here, but they're scheduled to play Edmonton next. Blake Wheeler, I don't know is likely to return. He's been skating for a while, could get back into the lineup. I mean, the obvious thing here is to have him resume his spot on the number one power play. You take Mason Appleton off and he gets thrown on there. But one of the interesting things in this game, at least Tyson was that when the jets had a power play, their first two chances, it was the Nick Ehlers unit, the the quote unquote second unit that led the way out there both times. The first time they scored one 10 seconds in, I mean, it's kind of unfair, and I've mentioned this before, when you have your most dynamic offensive player and your best defenseman on the second power play unit. And then, oh, look, there's Pierre-Luc Dubois out there on the other side. We forgot about him, too. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy because right, that second unit's just humming right now. And I even I've questioned myself why Neil Pionk isn't on the top unit yet, but He's almost do, they're all, the second unit's almost doing so good that you can't take him off because yeah. at that point then you you're almost just throwing Morrissey out there with no with not much practice time with those guys and who knows how that throws the funk out of both units. Yeah, I mean, look, I I think we're in agreement that Neil Pionk is the best power play defenseman this team has, but they're they're putting Josh Morrissey up there for I don't know maybe other reasons. To to me, it's pretty obvious who should be the main guy up there. But at the very least, the second unit is, I mean, it's outperforming the first one right now. So there there really isn't much of a letdown, no matter who gets out there for the Winnipeg Jets. Now, we're going to get into some trade deadline thoughts. And and you had some quite possibly provocative statements to make, Tyson. But first, now, for those that don't know, I probably should have mentioned this off the top. You're in broadcasting school right now. Right. Uh, Is it Herzing? Yeah, Herzing College. All right, so you're at Herzing College. Shout out, Bev. You're the best. <laughs> Have they gotten you to do any live reads as of yet? Uh, no live reads yet, but uh, just uh, com- some commercial reads here and there, some solo work. All right. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot here. <laughs> oh, great. Can, 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 you tell, can you tell the fine people out there what DraftKings has to offer them? Now uh, the people don't know, but uh, I like to gamble a little bit, and I and I love using DraftKings for their daily fantasy lineups. Uh, basketball season's coming to an end, with playoffs right around the corner. So 
you know, you can set your daily lineups. You stay under the salary cap and you see how your team stacks up against other competition. And it's giving you, it's giving new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. And you can claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using the code THPN during signup. That's THPN during signup. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot of millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars. You're, it's kind of, it's really just free money that you, they're giving you. Just to get, you could potentially get a million dollars. You could do hockey, basketball, UFC, pretty much whatever sports on. They got, they've got daily fantasy sport lineups for you. A minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Not bad, Tice. Not bad at all. <laughs> the people at DraftKings are going to be very happy with that one. So nice work. Well, let's get to your thoughts here because we had our trade deadline reaction episode on Tuesday. A lot of people were upset that a move wasn't made by Kevin Cheveldayoff or multiple moves. I, I would say I wasn't in that camp. I didn't necessarily understand that anger. But I think you might side with the group of people that were maybe a little bit miffed that Chevy didn't make a move. Is that right? Yeah, I do. I do understand where the people who aren't upset are coming from. Price. Obviously, we don't know what the prices were on some of those defensemen that were available. But there was guys like Brandon Montour, John Merrill, Patrick Nemeth. Like those guys aren't world beaters, but those are guys that can definitely contribute to the to the Jets' top four now. They can slide. They a guy like Brandon Montour or even Alex Goligoski. I think would have been a perfect guy for Josh Morrissey, given a right-handed shot in Montour. Goligoski plays the left and right side. It just gives the Jets an extra guy that can move the puck with Morrissey because he struggled at times a bit this year with that, getting the puck out of his own end. So I think adding a guy in the top four, and really you saw Toronto, your number one competition this year in your division. They went out and they got a lot better. They addressed everything they needed, and yeah, they might have paid a hefty price for Felino, but that's they see that they have a window to win and they decided to go all in. And I think this window is one of the best that the Jets have. Who knows who's coming back next year with those all, with a couple of those expiring contracts. And I think Chevy missed a pretty big opportunity to improve this team and potentially go on a deep run this year. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I mean, it, it's just it's tough, right? We all know Chevy was willing to deal. And he was willing to part with pretty much anything not named Hanela Sandberg, Perfetti. But to, to me, I think Kevin Chevaldeoff was in home run or bust mode. If it wasn't yeah. a Neckholm, if it wasn't an Ellis, if it wasn't a Manson, you know, like name your your big names that were semi-available. He wasn't he wasn't gonna make that move. And and yeah, like you know, getting a guy like Brandon Montour, who I actually threw out there and I wondered about. I mean, would it make the team better? Possibly. Who knows? I mean, if the stench of Buffalo is still on him, then no, it wouldn't make the team better. But, it, I mean, it was, yeah, it would be another an, another addition. It would supplement the blue line. I, I get it from that. Goligoski is an interesting name. But, again, you get into the hole where the Coyotes willing to deal him. And we'll talk with Frank Saravelli on, on Tuesday's episode about who the Jets targeted, who was potentially out there. We'll, we'll get into some of the... The answers about that, but to me, I was—I I kind of agree with how Kevin Chevaldeoff went after it. 
if, if none of the truly, truly big names were out there, then don't give up any assets, right? Don't, just don't make that move. Because like you said, Toronto is, this is the year for Toronto. Like no doubt, of, like they have to win multiple rounds. I sure. don't think it's right there for the Jets just yet. And I also think that, I think for Winnipeg, that's this upcoming season. Not this playoffs, but next season. That's their, we got to go all in here or else things might get pretty dicey moving forward. Not trading your first round pick and having all your picks and all your prospects gives you the opportunity at the draft in the offseason to try and grab that big fish that you couldn't get at the deadline here. Yeah, I definitely, I feel like you can move those mid-round picks and you, they're not that hard to get back at the draft if they really if they really wanted those picks if there's guys that they that they want yeah but that's because you play chell all the time and you're wheeling and dealing on be a gm mode just real life pricing <laughs> yeah i'm gun ho i guess I, that's <laughs> who i am <laughs> well i i've seen you in fantasy leagues and you're making trades like every 30 seconds that's it's, it's a little bit harder in real life man that I I do I do see uh, and one name I did see that they were going after was Gavrikov and that's an interesting name that I think they could revisit next in the off season for sure I do like him on the Jets team fit, he, I think he fit nicely in that top four that's an interesting name I, I mean I I thought going into this season either Savard or Gavrikov could be somebody the Jets could target they obviously wanted Savard I actually don't mind that they didn't trade a first round pick to get him. I actually yeah, I mean, the Jets could even the Jets could even sign him right now going into next season, and it, and it costs you nothing if you want Savard that bad. For sure, and I, I do agree that 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 it was a steep price for Savard, and I'm, I also agree that I, I'm glad that Chevy didn't do that. But I, I just wanted a minor upgrade, something that you know kind of pushes the gives the team that little push, gives all the the vets that are there that little hey, you guys, we trust you guys. Here's a little here's a little reinforcements for you guys for the playoff push. Well, I wanted a minor upgrade to the podcast when I asked you to come on, and I'll tell you what, it was more like a uh, Josh Manson or a Nick Foligno or a David Savard price. You killed it, Tyson, in your in your debut showing here on Skates and Plates. I, I, we can keep going here for a while, but we got to get to a, a, an absolute insane interview coming up right now. But you did great, and thanks so much for joining me in We'll probably have you on uh, sometime soon coming up here, okay? Yeah, sounds good. I had a blast. Thanks for having me. All right, that was Tyson Rewicki, my little bro, doing the family proud, soon-to-be Herzing College graduate. He's killing it out there, and I'm sure we'll hear from him sometime soon in the coming days on Skates and Plates. But speaking of plates, let's head to that portion of the pod, and I mentioned this at the top. You better buckle up for this interview. Now, I I have to mention this. If you have small children with you or you're listening to this in the office at work, I have to give a bit of warning here. There will be a fair bit of profanity in in this interview. So I'm just I'm just letting you know now, giving you a heads up. So don't get upset with me. Don't tweet me if, you know, you get all mad and your kids hear it. I warned you, you can't get mad at me. But I'm super jacked to get into this one. She is the queen of Jamaican cuisine here in Winnipeg. One of the most entertaining people you'll ever have the pleasure to meet. She's awesome. And I'm very pleased now to bring on from Miss Christine's Kitchen, Christine Patterson. Christine, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm really good. Just finished grocery shopping and figure out that I'm going to come put stuff away to open for tomorrow because I only open four days a week now. So today's prep day so I can have a nice little chat with you. And then after this, 
then I'll go start my prepping. Well, hey, I appreciate you taking the time to, to join us because I know it's going to be a busy couple of days for you here. Yes, very hectic because it's a one-woman show, right? I run this <laughs> thing on my own, so. All right. Well, it's kind of interesting, and, and I just found this out a couple days ago, but Gates and Plates is turning into a mini Wall of Chefs family reunion here. We've had on a couple judges here in Winnipeg in the past, but mm -hmm. I believe that you're our first Wall of Chefs contestant. Is that right? That's right. What was that experience like? Oh, my God. It was amazing. It was amazing. They treated all the guests, like all the contestants, with such level of respect. And I, it's kind of hard to put into words. They made us felt so welcome and relaxed. But it was a long day. They picked us up from the hotel at around 6 in the morning. And we got to the, the studio. And we shoot from quarter to 7 until around 9, 10 o'clock at night. Wow. Yes. When you see the one-hour show, that takes about 16 hours. And then you have to keep doing it over again. They're like, okay, action. Then you run to the kitchen, you do your stuff, you come back. Oh, let's do it again. And it's just constantly. But it was fun. One thing I have always wondered is when you have, and, and for those that don't know, the first round, I believe, is 30 minutes, right? 30 minutes to make your signature dish? Actually, before the first round that you guys don't see, they give you a round to do. They send you into the pantry and tell you to make a omelette. That's okay. how they test you to see if you can actually cook. And they went around and taste all the omelettes, and they're like, you're in, you're in, you're in, you're out. Wow. Then they give you 30 minutes to make your signature dish, and I just... I was so nervous. Does the clock go as fast as everybody thinks it does? Yes, yes, yeah. it absolutely. It actually goes faster when you're in the studio. <laughs> it looks like it's going fast, but no. And the, the next thing you know, you'll see 30 minutes. And then the next thing you look, it's 10 minutes. Yeah. And you're like, okay, what just happened here? I thought that they'd give you 30 minutes. And then they'll be screaming, you get better get going because your time is running down. So we're all hoping for a redemption. I think there's a redemption in the near future. Well, you did Winnipeg Proud in your first appearance, and you'll you'll do it again if there is a second one. So oh listen, there will be a second one, but I'm telling you, the thing that really gets me, it's at the end of it. I didn't realize that I could have put a piece of crab leg or a piece of I didn't realize I could have put protein in it. Because when they open the fridge, the surprise at the end, they're like, oh, the second round, this is so-and-so. And you open it, and I'm Jamaican. And there was whipped herb cheese, oh. uh, miso paste, uh, some bitter celery, which I never even knew that there was two different kinds of celery. I'm always eating regular celery, but this one is so potent. It's really? very, very, yes, it's so potent to not have like a bitter taste to it. So it's not like the regular celery. So I was standing there smiling. Ah, this is easy. <laughs> but they love the soup, though. They said it is very flavorful, but it needed more protein. It was just basic. And I agree with them. And that's fine with me. But the guy that won, he's a food blogger. He's been doing this for so many years. He blogs. He's, he's always squidding. I've never heard of squidding before. He's squid. The, the dough to make pasta. And I was like, wow. 
what the hell is squinting? <laughs> what is that? Because he goes, they went to culinary school, those people, right? So they know what to fuse and what not to fuse. And I'm just a, like an open book. I just throw a bunch of stuff in there. <laughs> and even after, when before I left, they were laughing. They were like, Miss Christine, listen, we've been chefs for so many years and I have never thought of making a miso curry whipped cream, whipped cheese soup. They never thought of putting those things together to make a soup. And now I keep in touch with a lot of them, like Susan Barr. She's on my Instagram. The Noah Cap, he's the, he was the, the host. host. Yeah. Like I keep in touch with all of them and they're always telling me that they're proud of me and to keep going and, you wow. know, and especially that I'm coming from so far from nothing. So that makes me feel good. You know, I'm turning 50 this year. So it's nice that I came from nothing and then I got chosen out of over, I think it was like over 10,000 people applied and I was oh. one of the 10,000 people that got chosen. So that was nice. That's awesome. I mean, and that's so great. You guys all keep in touch too. And, and yes. who, who knows, maybe the wall of chef soup is one of the new entries to your menu sometime soon too, right? I, a lot of people said that I should make it for them to try. It's actually very good, but I find it that it was basic. It was tasty, but it needed protein exactly right. like they said. But I've worked with miso paste now since that two years ago. Trust me, I whip up a miso vinaigrette. I make a miso <laughs> stir fry. Listen, I came home and I went to the Asian store and bought all this stuff that I've never had before. And now if I go back on the wall of chef, just because I got sent home for that soup, that's going to be my soup that I'm going to be bringing back to them. The same soup, except I know what kind of proteins to put in it to make it delicious. So I love yep. it. Well, hey, look, we can talk about Wallace Chefs for another 15 minutes here. True. But that. We're here to talk about Miss Christine's Kitchen. Yes. Before we get to everything and all the great food you're making, you grew up in Jamaica. Can you just talk about how food played a big role in your life growing up there? And then as you eventually, you know, made your way to Winnipeg a number of years down the road. <laughs> That's another story. Do you have <laughs> enough time? Anyway, so I grew up poor. My dad died when I was five years old. He died from throat cancer and he never smoked a day in his life. So he died and my mom, she became an alcoholic right away after he died. So she left us all the time. She would be gone for weeks and the neighbors would have to take care of us and they would tease us and say, they wouldn't refer to us by our names. They would say, there goes Miss Lizzie, uh, drunken Lizzie kids and blah, blah, blah. And it's hard growing up back in the seventies when you don't have a mother and a father and people know your parents are drunk. So they used to beat up on me and my sisters all the time. And I decided when I was about eight, I was going to walk out to the carnation market. So I walk out to the market and I beg for some food. I went, we call them igglers. Here they call them vendors. So I walk to the market and I beg for some yellow yam, some white yam, some green bananas. And there were some people that were selling some food, like chicken feet and the back of the chicken, like really cheap stuff. The, the intestines of the pig and the cow, you can buy that at the market, but I didn't have money. So they felt bad for me because I was a little girl. And they're like, where are your parents? I'm like, I don't know where my mom is, but we're hungry. They're asking who's going to cook the food. I said, I'm going to cook it. They're asking if I know how to cook. I said, no, I don't, but I'm going to learn right away. Mm -hmm. So I took the food home 
and I cooked the food and I was actually surprised at eight how good the food tastes. So I called all the kids that used to tease me and my sister and beat us up and I started giving them food. So once every, every weekend I would go to the market, I would go there from Friday to Saturday and beg for food and then I would go home Saturday night or Sunday morning. I was at the market by myself at eight years old, wow. staying there overnight. But these cuss, these igglers were so used to me coming begging for food that they would look out for me and, and watch over me. So as I got older, I realized that hmm, there's two ways to make people like you. Be nice or you can feed them. <laughs> and it was easy for me to feed them because I'm not very nice sometimes. I get really cranky, okay? I'm oh, no, me. no. I, I don't think that's true. Yeah. Oh, no. Yes, <laughs> yes. So I, and then as I become a teenager... I'm, I'm thinking, this is great. I haven't had nobody tease me since I was eight. Nobody pick on my sisters. Everybody started showing me respect now. Oh, that's Miss. They've been calling me crazy Christine since I was a kid. And it stuck with me. And my mother, when she realized what I was doing, she would say to me, you know what? When you grow up, you should open up a restaurant because you're always bringing those straight people in my house and feeding them food. And that's what she says. I'm always bringing strays in to give them food because the look on people's face when they eat something that tastes good, it brings people together. So that's why it played a big part in my life growing up is feeding people. Then we skip 20, 30 years later almost, we almost lost our home. It went into foreclosure in 2018. And I said to my husband, my common-law husband, because we're not like, married married and i said to him i said yo this is bullshit because you're 47 i'm turning 48 and we can't be a fort we can't lose this house you gotta do something he's like oh blah 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 i said listen motherfucker we're gonna lose this house we are going to be on the street actually you can go to your rich mother house and live in our basement i don't have anywhere to go so i'm gonna start cooking from this house and at first he was like, no, you can't cook from the house. You're going to get in trouble. I said, okay, well, I'll cook until I get in trouble because you have one month to come up with $35,000. So he has to run to his rich mommy and she paid for this because we had a, not we, he had a lien on the house. He hates when I talk for business. He gets so mad. I said, but I don't give a shit. It's my life too. It's my story. So I'm telling it. If you don't like it, don't listen. So... He had to go to his mommy. He had a lien on the house and all a bunch of stuff. And she ended up just writing a check for the bank for 30 something thousand dollars, pay off the lawyer, everything. And then she looked at him and she said, so who's going to pay me back? So I looked at him and I said, well, I'm going to go start cooking. And she had such doubts. She's like, yeah, well, the restaurants are dime a dozen. They come and go. If they last for a year, it's a miracle, blah, blah, blah. Now it's going to be two years for me. How about that? <laughs> I love yeah. I, I mean, it's an unbelievable story. I, I love yeah. how it went from, you know, you kind of learning how to cook to survive to turn it into some petty wars here. You're showing the, the mother-in-law who's boss, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. And so she's even shocked that I'm still going and we haven't not beat him. He hasn't called his mother since I started cooking in 2018 from the house and asked her for nothing because I am the sole breadwinner now of this house. That's awesome. I, 
I pay the mortgage, I pay the hydro bill, I pay for the restaurant, I pay the car insurance, I pay this, I pay that, I pay everything. That man hasn't had a decent job in about three years. Christine, you're the best. I, I just want to get that out of the way right now. Oh, you're yeah, I know that, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so that's why I love to cook, because it pays the bill, and I see the smile that it puts on people's face. My food is selling out all the time. People call, like, three days, four days, a week ahead, and put in order to pre-orders. And this is why when people come here and walk in to get food, or they have to wait for 45 minutes, they're like, um... Why can't I just come and pick up food? No, you can't just walk in here and pick up food because everything is pre-order. So I have to deal with the folks that order their food from a week ago. It don't mean because you order this morning, you're going to get food because it's not fair to the ones that order a week ago and they expect to pick up their food at this time. And then they're going to show up and I'm going to say, sorry, there's no food. So it's a first come first serve basis. And I love it. The customers are so good. Listen, I ran out of potato one day when I was doing dining. My customer got up, left his wife, run down to Safeway, bought me potatoes, bring it back. And when I tried to give him the money, he didn't want to take the money. My customers were cleaning off tables for me wow. when I was doing dining. They said the food is so good and it's, it's what you call it here. It's not really pretty to look at. You know, it's not that aesthetic. That's the fancy word I'm looking for. It's just... <laughs> a big pile of food that tastes really good. This shutdown slowed me down a little bit, but not to the point where I'm hurting, but I can see the difference because people have to be saving their pennies, you know? And this is why I give them so much food for their money. Like a basic plate of food, a basic um jerk chicken, it comes out to $20.16. But you can feed yourself two times out of that because the whole plate weighs about three pounds, the whole container. Then when you get into the oxtail, that can weigh about four and a half pounds, the container, because you get one pound of oxtail in your plate. Wow. Yeah, so I actually feed people. It's a little expensive, but you get your money's worth. You, you, you don't get rip off. Your food is always tasty, and the customer always asking for extra gravy or extra rice or extra salad. And I tell you something, I am the only restaurant in Winnipeg that give a six-layer salad in every food. It's a six-layer salad that you get. Most restaurants you go to, they give you a little bit of lettuce. And if you want spinach, you have to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't use lettuce in here. It's all spinach. So oh. my, that's why people love my salad because I put spinach. I put coleslaw mix, which is the dry stuff. I put green and orange and yellow peppers. I put cherry tomatoes. I put cucumber. And on the top, I put shredded carrots. So people work too hard for their money to rip them off. And sometimes you have my kind of people, God bless them, but they'll come in here sometimes and they'll be complaining. I said, listen, when you go to the keg and you get a stupid little half-baked potato and your six-ounce or your eight-ounce piece of steak, and your two little sprigs of asparagus, and you pay $49.99 on your ass is still hungry, go back to them and tell them that you want another piece of steak and you want some more asparagus and see what happens. <laughs> so don't come in here and tell me when my plate weighs four pounds and their plate barely because eight ounces of steak, two pieces of this, that don't even weigh a whole pound on your plate. 
for fifty dollars. So you can't come in here and talk smack to me about. Oh no, uh, no, I, I'm not. I don't think anyone wants to talk smack to you about anything. Oh, they do. My customer. Oh yeah. <laughs> when they come in here, if I'm quiet, they know that I'm having a bad day. Because I'm always talking shit, chatting with the customers, using unnice language or whatever you call it. You know, some restaurants you go there, oh, welcome to Miss Christine. Or no, not like that. Not when you come in here. It's not that bullshit. It's straight up like back home. You're walking. People are like, what do you have? What do you have for food? I said, what do you want? That's how I deal with my customers because I love them. They're amazing. My customers that's, kick ass, man. And these that's white all, yeah, and that's such a that's such a great relationship too that you're having is. where you can kind of just it's it's so it's so much like family and in so many places try to do that and it's not authentic, but it sounds like you're you're pulling that off super easy. No, it's not even pull it off super easy. You know, when you love what you're doing, a lot of people open restaurants and say that they love what they're doing. They're just doing it for the money, okay? To be real, uh, there's money in the restaurant business. But if you notice, I used to go to a lot of restaurants. And the, the problem with a lot of them, the food is not consistent, and that's the problem. Too much different cooks spoil the pot. So they need to figure something out. Like, I do all the cooking, all the grocery shopping. Eventually, I'm going to go get a food truck, like I told you. That's oh, what we'll I'm get to that. <laughs> yes. So I would like to hire somebody to still run here because I'm not going to give the spot up. It's just that I want to be out there to meet the people and talk to them. But um, when I hire someone, I have all my spices pre-mixed. So all they have to do is just sprinkle the spice on it and cook it. That's it. And I use the same ingredients and in all of my food and none of my food tastes the same. And people ask me, how is it possible? I said, because goats give a different flavor. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you put the same spices on it. Yeah. You put the same spices on beef, you're going to get a different flavor because beef gives a different flavor. You put it in chicken, it gets a different flavor. You use it on your fish. And they're like, I never thought about that. I always <laughs> use fish for this. And I said, no. I'm not rich. I don't got time to buy all those spices. <laughs> it's three spices alone I use on all my food. Three. I call them the three sisters. I use my jerk chicken, only three spice. And really? that's, the poor, that's the poor person version. Because I watched my mother make jerk chicken like that for years. And everybody always asks her how her jerk chicken is so delicious. If she's using those 10 different spices, she look at them. Do I look like I can afford 10 spices? <laughs> so and that's the I secret then. Because I was going to ask you, like jerk chicken is what I think of when I think of Jamaican cuisine. And I mm -hmm. assume that it was at least a dozen different ingredients that goes into the spice mix. But I, only, I only put the three basic spice that you need in your jerk chicken. That's it. I don't put all that, the garlic powder and the cinnamon and the this and the that. But that's too confusing. That's too much trouble. <laughs> so I just stick to the flavors, which is the, the two main ingredients is thyme and pimento. That's pretty much it. You don't necessarily have to use scotch bonnet pepper. Everybody seems to think you have to use scotch bonnet pepper to get a great jerk chicken. I couldn't tell the last time I put scotch bonnet pepper on my jerk chicken. Interesting. No, because I have a garden at my home and I grow all my peppers. I grow ghost peppers. I grow jalapeno. I grow all kind of peppers. So 
I don't specifically go after Scotch bonnets because I paid attention to my mom when she was alive and how she cooked. And she always tells, she says, when you use less, it always tastes the best. Is it the same for the Jamaican curry? You have curry goats and it's in a couple other items on your menu. Is, is yeah, that I have curry goat? goats. I have oxtail. So my two big sellers in here is the jerk chicken on the oxtail. Okay. Because I won best tasting at 2019 at the Mac and Cheese Festival for my jerk chicken. The bombers, they had bombers. I think they had some people from the Jets. They had uh, Mr. Michael Chambers. They had politicians there too. And I went up against Brazen Hall. I went up against Champs Food Truck. I went up against um, Blue Hazen. And you smoked them. And uh, Q Grill and all of them. And I smoked all of them for the best taste. <laughs> I was like, what? But they says, and the winner is Miss Christine's. I was like, ah! <laughs> yeah, I beat all of them. And even them, they were, all, listen, it was funny at the festival because I was looking, I was the only one with a big lineup. Nobody else had big lineups. Everybody had no lineup. They kept coming back because I designed these little things that I call them jerk mac and cheese poppers. And mm. we sold over 3,000 of those in the three days that we were there. They are so amazing. Like I make a jerk mac and cheese. There's no such thing as a jerk mac and cheese. I just made that shit up, okay? Yeah. <laughs> because uh, the macaroni and cheese, you couldn't just take jerk chicken and cook. You, because it was a mac and cheese festival. So I had to think of a way how I could slip my jerk chicken in there too. And then I was talking to the organizer and I said, listen, I'm going to make a jerk mac and cheese. And she says, how oh, the hell are you going to do that? Can't jerk mac and cheese. I said, no, stupid. I'm not going to jerk the mac and cheese. I'm going to use the jerk spice in the macaroni and cheese. And I mix it up and I taste it. I was like, whoa, this shit is good. So then I take a wonton wrapper. And I put the cold macaroni and cheese in it, wrap it up and deep fry it. Oh my God. It's so creamy on the inside and crunchy on the outside. And I have a red sauce that you dip it in. Listen, people were selling them for $8 for three. People were going back and coming around. My two deep fryer couldn't keep up, could (laughs) not keep up with them. Listen, and the jerk chicken. They're like, oh, my God, this is so good. You must have marinated for days. I said, no. Who got time to marinate stuff for days? It's (laughs) rub and cook. They're like, what? I said, yeah, I just season it up. If it takes five minutes to season it up, as soon as it's done, I shove it right in the oven. I do them in the oven for about 35 minutes, and then I finish them off on the grill. And you sell the jerk mac and cheese, right? Yes, I do. I start selling it now. It's all on. I posted it. That stuff was sold out before I even start selling it last weekend. I sold so much of them. They're like, oh, my God, this is so good. I would never thought of jerk chicken, like jerk mac and cheese. Who thought of that? I said, you wait till I bring my poppers. You guys will see something else. Is that is that your Canadian accent that you throw on there? Oh, shit. Oops, I didn't even realize I was doing that. <laughs> I, was just, I was just wondering what you were going with there. <laughs> you, you nailed it, but I was just wondering what you were going for. No, it's white people. I love you guys. What Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> they always say that. So how do you do that? And, oh, my God, this is so good. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. White people, you know, yeah. I love them, but you know. <laughs> so, I, so since we're making fun of white people, I've always wondered this, and I've seen 
I've seen different restaurants do this. Do you have like Jamaican spicy and then white people spicy? No, to be no? honest, my white customers, listen, sometimes they ask for extra heat. They said, this is not oh. Yes. So there is no white people white spice in here because I'm Jamaican and I can't stand spicy stuff, but oh. I make it spicy enough that you can enjoy it. And sometimes they want to get extra hot sauce. Can you get extra this? I love it. You mentioned this to me when we spoke earlier this week. You want to set the standard when it comes to the food truck game here in Winnipeg, right? So my uh, 36-year-old child, she's always telling me from the start, Mom, you need to get a food truck. You're not the type that likes to sit in a place because there's no windows in this restaurant. No window. So I can't even tell you if it's dark or light outside. So she was saying to me before, she says, get a food truck, get a food truck. I'm like, no, I don't want to get a food truck. But, you know, after being in here for coming on two years, I said, you know what? I called her up and I said, you know what, sherri you were right. I need to get a food truck and get the fuck out of here and get somebody else to run this. I want to be out there. I want to be driving, say, for lunch. I'll be parked downtown close to the MTS Center. Some people can come get food. And for supper, I'll be parked somewhere else. And then on weekends, I'll drive to Brandon. And then I'll drive to Regina. I just want to travel with my food truck. And I noticed in the last 32 years I've been here, I've never seen a food truck in the wintertime on the street. And you want to change that. And that's what I'm going to change. Because I'm thinking, if people can live in trailers, in um, those campers in the wintertime, there must be a way to treat those lines. So that this way you can still run your truck. And then someone says to me, why would anybody want to come out and buy food in the wintertime? Are you an idiot? Of course, if they know that there's a food truck parked downstairs of their office building, they're just running down to come grab some food and run back in. Hey, Winnipeggers are, are so stupid that they'll grab Slurpees when it's minus 30 out. So you, yeah. can't, you can't tell me that they're not going to come out for some jerk for chicken. Some nice and jerk chicken. Like, exactly. So that's what I want to do. I want to start a trend. So truck people know that. It, I know they said that the food truck people make enough money and they don't have to work for the winter. That must be a lot of money, so I want to get into that. Because if you can work for four months and take eight months off, I want to get in on that. I, hey, I'm hoping. I can't wait to see Miss Christine's so, food truck coming down the street 12 months a year. I, I'm in on that. That's right. Oh, I'm so in on it. I'll be like the ice cream girl, okay? <laughs> Go to the ice cream truck girl and play the music. Except I'll be blaring some reggae music out of that truck. Oh. It's my dream. You have no idea. I've been looking at a truck and the guy's asking 45,000 for it. It's um, automatic. It runs good. It has two deep fryer. It has a grill in it. It has a freezer. It has a cooler. It has a tree sink. You know, it has everything like a kitchen. It's very small and compact. So I'm hoping that I'm going to start putting $100 a day away in my bank account five days a week and see how much closer I can get. And then I'll call Revenue Canada and say, listen, because I know if I get that food truck, I would make that money in a summer, like easy. Look, you're obviously super busy with your restaurant opening up here, so I don't want to keep you too much longer. No, um, I open tomorrow. But if you want to go, that's all good. No, no, no. I, I, I just got a couple of one or two more questions for you before we go. If you were to create the perfect game day meal from Miss Christine's Kitchen, what would you serve for that game day party? Oh hell, jerk chicken! That's yeah. Easy. Oh hell yeah. hell yeah! That jerk chicken would knock them out of the ballpark. 
I love it. Nice and simple, short and sweet, just like your yes. food, right? And I hope that the guests they all come out and support Miss Christine's Kitchen. <laughs> try some food. Or is there any way I could give them some jerk chicken to try? Like, I would like to make a tray and chop up some jerk chicken and just give it to them, my gift to them, so that they can try my food. Let me get into some of my contacts. I'll, I'll, okay. see, if we can, I'll see if we can hook something up, okay? And we can, I'll tell you what, you make it, I'll send it out there. I can't guarantee it gets past my house, but we'll we'll work something out there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And if yeah, for sure, and then I will definitely you make the mac and cheese so you can try it too. So if you can set something up, I will make sure that I have a little thing of mac and cheese for you to try and some jerk chicken. Beauty. All right. Well, I'll, I'll get right to that. In the meantime, just let our listeners know how they can uh, grab jerk chicken, oxtail, everything else you serve. Just let them know uh, what the best way to do that is. Okay, guys, you can go on my website at www.misschristineskitchen.com to pre-order, or you can call 204-698-1546. Please don't call me at 5 o'clock because chances are you won't get any food. I do not answer my phone at 5 o'clock, even though I open at 4 o'clock from Wednesday to Friday and on Saturdays from 4.30 until 9. So do not call me at 5. I don't answer the phone. It's a one-woman show. So I can't be answering the phone and making plates at the same time. So you guys have to pre-order. And the food is amazing. And like I said, if you don't like it, it's free. Free like the bird in the tree. <laughs> Drop the mic. Drop the mic. Let's leave it at that. All right. Well, we'll stay in touch, okay? Thanks so much. Oh, you're welcome. And anytime if you want to chat about food or anything, give me a ring. For sure. All right. Have a good day, Christine. You too. Bless up, my dear. Goodbye. Well, that does it for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Huge thanks to Tyson Rewicki and Christine Pattinson for joining me. Make sure you head down to Miss Christine's Kitchen. Grab yourself some Jamaican food to warm you up with this awful, awful weather we're having. At the very least, that's what you could do. Maybe that jerk chicken mac and cheese can make the slush in the snow a little bit easier to deal with. We're coming back on Tuesday. A major guest stopping by. It's TSN's Frank Saravalli, the insider. He's going to give us all the news and the follow from the trade deadline, and we'll get the lowdown on who the Jets were targeting and what moves could be on tap this offseason because they always say sometimes the moves that aren't made or almost made are, are ones that are going to be happening soon come the offseason. So Frank's going to give us the lowdown on all of that. Plus, we'll break down Jets, Oilers on top of it, the lone game until Tuesday. So it's going to be a great way to kick off next week. But until then, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace.